Festus was willing to step into chaos. And you see it over and over in the scripture, Jesus stepping into chaotic circumstances. You think about his disciples, Matthew, to step into the life of Matthew meant that Jesus stepped into the life, to the chaos of Matthew's life. And, and over and over you see it. We, we talked about Zacchaeus. Uh, I guess three weeks ago. And, and to step into the life of Zacchaeus was to step into chaos, to, to allow chaos to be part of the life of Jesus. And over and over in the scripture, Jesus was able to step into chaos. He was able to engage awkward individuals, people in the midst of difficult lives. And we're going to read this in another story. It's in Matthew or Luke chapter 8. Beginning in verse uh, 26, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, they sailed to the region of the Gesserines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank uh, into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from the, whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gesserines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for, for him. You know, th this is an amazing passage. And, and, and I think about this passage and I think about Jesus encountering this naked, crazy, demon-possessed man that, that, that Jesus got out of the boat where this man was. And, and, and I thought of titling this sermon, Let Me Out Where the Naked Crazy Man Is. Uh, but I decided not to. Jesus was dropped off in a, in a place that was dire, in a place that was dark. Now, now consider this for a moment. I, I, I'm assuming that in this region they had docks. And in and and, and my mind's eye, I see Jesus going across the lake in the boat. And, and there's the dock just ahead. And at the dock, there's normal people with clothes on. If you're thankful for clothes, say amen, right? There's normal people with clothes. Nobody's howling at the moon. Nobody's foaming at the mouth. No demon-possessed crazy people at the dock. It's just all normal people. And Jesus 
taps the pilot of the boat on the shoulder and says, hey, can you drop me off right here where that naked, crazy, demon-possessed man is? See, see, there's an intentional action of Jesus to be dropped off in this dire situation. And, And I can't think of a more dire situation. This guy is homeless. He is naked. He is alone. Uh, People have given up on him. He's possessed by demons. You say, Pastor, do do you believe in demon possession? Yes, I do. There's too much darkness in our world not to believe in demon possession or demon oppression at the very least. It seems like evil has a, a stronghold, a stranglehold on our world. And so, yeah, I do. But Jesus steps into this darkness. And whether whether you want to say it's demon possession or it's mental illness or whatever you want to, however you want to classify it, it is dark, dark, dark. It's chaotic and it's frightening. And we see in this that Jesus and aren't you thankful for this? Jesus is not afraid to step into the darkest of circumstances. <laughs> Jesus is not afraid to step into chaos, into sin-filled lives. He forgoes the normal dock to intentionally choose to, be, to land in this tomb with this naked, demon-possessed man. I bet that's the most time you've heard naked in a sermon. Uh, you guys, you need to be playing a game like naked bingo. How many times am I going to use that word in this? How about if I change? I'll start using nude. Is that more spiritual sounding? No? Clothless. And Jesus acts when the man can't. It's kind of interesting. In this passage, and... And I, you know, I've read this several times, but, but the man is, it records first what the man says. But in verse 29, it says, for Jesus had already commanded. Before the man had said anything, Jesus had begun to act in his life. <laughs> he begins to negotiate with the demons. And I got to tell you, that is a weird passage to me. Is it weird to anybody else that Jesus is negotiating with these demons and not just saying, get out? But Jesus is negotiating with these demons and, and they're asking him not just to cast them into the abyss. And, and so Jesus negotiates with these demons and he encounters these demons and he, he, he acts before the man can even begin to ask for himself. That's good news for us. You you realize that, right? You understand that this ideal that God is at work and working in our lives before we even have the sense to act, ask, is a very positive thing. Because I got to tell you, sometimes I'm pretty stupid and all God's people said, amen, right? 
Sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes I don't see it. Sometimes I don't even understand how dire my condition might be. And I'm thankful that I have a Savior that begins to act before I have the sense to act or even know what to ask for. You know, the Hebrew writer says that, that the Spirit intercedes for us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine or understand. In other words, it, right now in heaven, in your life, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for you in ways you can't even begin to explain or understand yet. <laughs> Pretty dynamic. And so Jesus acts first, and he begins to negotiate with these demons. And, 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 and you see something that, that, that's, that's pretty important. Jesus is negotiating over a person that everyone else has marginalized. You know, he, he's that naked, there I said it again, go ahead, get another check. There is that clothless, demon-possessed, crazy guy that we've tried to restrain, but no restraints hold him. And he's living in the tombs. He is beyond repair. He is beyond use. He, he is completely outside the scope of normal. We have no place for him. That The entire community had kind of let him go. And Jesus is negotiating for his life and his soul. <laughs> One person is extremely valuable. I don't care what anyone else says about you. I don't care what the culture or the community says. Every person is extremely valuable. You are extremely valuable no matter what the chaos of your life might be. Now, now Jesus cast these demons into a herd of pigs. And, and you know, th this is, um, I, I can't imagine what this did to the economy of this little town. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not like in our day, you know, when, you know, they, they've raised this herd of pigs and they've, they've fed them and they've invested in them and they've gotten them to this point and, and for them just to be gone and, and snatched out of the economy of this town. See, this wasn't just one person that would have suffered, an entire community would have suffered. And Jesus is saying, this guy that you've marginalized, that you say doesn't amount to anything, is worth a whole lot. People matter. People matter to God. And people matter, should matter to us. You know, this isn't the only chaotic story that Jesus has stepped into. We talked about some earlier at the beginning of this chapter. There's another one. It says, after this, Jesus traveled around about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. <laughs> seven demons. Now, anytime you see the word seven in the Bible, uh, seven is one of those perfect numbers that usually means more than seven. That, that, that there's, there's almost this understanding. Maybe the way to say it is she, if we're going to use the symbolic nature of the number, she was completely possessed. There was no part of her that wasn't possessed. She was gone. And Jesus cast out the demons and not only is it cast out the demons, 
but Mary becomes part of the inner circle. Mary's one of the first ones to, to, to experience the resurrected Jesus. Mary is as close as any disciple. Mary's on the inside. And this wasn't that Mary said, hey, I want to be on the inside or I want to be on the inner circle or I want to be close to you. This was Jesus taking the initiative and putting his arm around her and drawing this formerly demon-possessed woman, completely demon-possessed woman, into his inner circle. So, well, Pastor, what's that matter? You know, this isn't fairy tale. This is real life. And if you've ever been with anyone or you've ever experienced anyone that, you know, imagine the worst case you can think of and being saved from that life into a life of following Jesus, of being someone who was holy or, or pursuing God. Imagine someone coming from that lifestyle and no matter what the salvation story is, there's still residuals of sin. Sin leaves a mark. It leaves relationships. It leaves reputation. It, it has all these things. And Jesus invites Mary Magdalene into his inner circle regardless of the chaotic residuals of her life. And he walks with her through it. And he draws her close. You know, it's kind of interesting because you have two contrasts here. You have Mary Magdalene, who he casts the demons out, and he pulls her into the inner circle. And then you have the man who wants to be part of the inner circle. He wants to go wherever Jesus goes. And Jesus says, no, I need you to stay here. Why? Because I want you to be a witness to who I am. And, and it's kind of interesting in the story. And as I understand the timing of this story, G Jesus has come here, he's delivered the man, and they tell him to go away, right? Most biblical scholars believe, though, this becomes the place of the second great feeding. You have the feeding of the 5,000 men, which means that Jesus feeds between 15 and 20,000, I believe would be a fair estimate. And then you have the feeding of the 4,000. And so you're, you're talking another 8, 12, 15,000 people that have gathered that Jesus feeds near this region. Which makes me think that Jesus left this guy there and he became this neon sign of who Jesus was. That the next time Jesus came, they weren't sending him away, but they were drawing to him. They were, they were coming to him with those who need to be healed. Now that, I think Jesus was going back to check on the man. That although he had left him, he didn't leave him. That he was going to come back and make sure that things were okay. He was still walking beside him. You know, it's good news for us. And we've, we've talked about a little bit that, that, that Jesus is... is it interacts with us even in our chaos. And, and, and the truth is, our darkness is not too dark for Jesus. <laughs> that, that, that he's willing to step into our chaos. Anybody ever have chaos in their life? Yeah. Anybody have chaos on Sunday morning before you go to church, right? 
Jesus is willing to step into the chaos of our life. And, you know, I thought about calling this series Into the Mess <laughs> or Into Darkness, that, that we have a God that Jesus was willing to step into messy humanity, and he's willing to step into the mess of our lives. He is willing to step into darkness. And not only is he willing to step into the chaos and into the darkness, into the mess, but Jesus is willing to walk with us through it and lead us out of it. Psalms 139.12 says, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. (laughs) We have a God that whatever you're going through, it has not scared him off. (laughs) He's not afraid of the circumstances of your life, but he's willing to walk with you through it. Now, we've been talking about that, that, that Jesus shows us God, and, and he shows us this God that's engaged in our lives, even when it's chaotic, and even when there's residuals, and, and, and we matter to God, even in our messes. But there's more to this than just what, who God is. It's what God expects of us. Abraham was blessed to what? Be a blessing. That that there's this blessing that God gives, and in this blessing, there's an expectation that his people will be different, that his people will be changed. And and we've been dealing with this in, in this way. A building cannot express the character of God, but human flesh can. In other words, Solomon's temple was not grand enough to express the character of God, but But Jesus, wrapped in flesh, could show us fully who God was because he could express love. And God wants us, God wants to be wrapped in our flesh, even now, that that God with us, Emmanuel, did not end when Jesus ascended into heaven, but, but God wants to fill us with his spirit so that we might live lives that bring glory to him. To to, to me, that's the essence of holiness. The essence of holiness is that God wants to transform me and use me. And he wants to transform you and use you. You know, we're, we're not fully God, but we can be full of God. We're meant to be an image of God, that, that people should see us and give God in heaven the glory, that the way we live our lives should be so different that people will say there's something different about them. And the difference is the Holy Spirit indwelling us and changing our motivations and the way we deal with people and the way we react to circumstances. Can I have one amen for that? Okay, I got one. Pastors are so needy, aren't we? Amen. (laughs) So insecure. Are you willing to allow God to wrap himself in your flesh? You know, I I thought about this guy at the tombs. And, um, you know, he wasn't going to show up at a church building, right? You realize people that live in that kind of chaos they're not going to show up in a church house. For, for one thing, their, their lives are so chaotic that even in their mind, if it would cross their mind to go to church, something would happen. A kid would get sick, a car would break down, and, and in the chaos of life, it would keep them from coming to where they could hear truth. 
You know, the, the, we, um, we have an enemy of our soul, and the enemy is pretty, pretty slick. You know, Satan's pretty slick, and, and he'll keep people through chaos from experiencing the goodness of God if he can. And so most of the time, people who live these chaotic, dark lives aren't just going to show up on a Sunday morning in church anymore. I think years ago, people would have grandparents or parents and, and some spiritual background, and, and, and maybe for some reason, somebody could twist their arms and get them here. But, but anymore, it doesn't work like that. And so if they're not going to go to church, church has to go to them, Right? Does that make any sense? Or even if they feel like they can, they'll feel so unworthy. Their clothes won't be right. They won't know the right lingo. And it'll keep them from coming to a church. So we have to go to them. And we've been dealing with this phrase, and, and, and I like this phrase because I think it's true. There are no holy places there's only places where holy people gather. And so there's this ideal, and, and, and you look at this story of Jesus, and you know this wasn't the temple, it wasn't a synagogue, it wasn't some holy place in the history of Israel, but Jesus turned this cemetery with a demon-possessed man into a sanctuary by his presence. That, that somehow Jesus converted this place to something different by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within him. And, and I guess the point is this. Sometimes we look at this and we say, this is the church, right? No, this is not the church. The, the church is not intended to be a static location. It's meant to be a sent people. And so this, I, you know, I, I, I love our building and I, I love that we can gather, but this gathering is not the church, you are the church. And the Holy Spirit living within you allows you to express the goodness, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of our God wherever you find yourself. As I thought about that, I, I, I thought about what it means to be a holy person. And I, and I think holy people move past fear to action. You know, fear can be paralyzing, right? <laughs> You know, awkward circumstances, not knowing what to say. And, you know, it, it can keep us from moving to action, from moving into relationship, from initiating conversations. How many of you have felt like, man, I really should do something here, but you just don't know what to do? Anybody ever been like that? Holy people move past fear to action. And maybe, you know, I thought about this, and, and, and I don't want to be impractical. You know, it's, it's easy to stand up here and say these kind of things, but, but practically, how, you, how do you do that? You know, maybe you say a prayer. Anybody ever jump off a high dive? Who's done high dives? How scared were you the first time you did it, Right? How scared were you the second time? No, not as much, right? Yeah, maybe it's like diving off a high dive. Maybe the practical application is this. If you want to start diving off the high dive, guess what? You got to climb up the ladder and do it. And maybe if you want to move past fear into action, you've just got to do it. <laughs> Sorry, Nike. 
Holy people move past fear to action. Holy people are willing to pay the cost. A herd of pigs. <laughs> Who would give up a herd of pigs for one lost person, right? You know, that, that's not an insignificant number. You know, we're, we're not talking about $10 to somebody on the corner. We're talking about a significant investment in someone's life. And I think if we're going to be the kind of people that, that demonstrate God in the flesh, it's not just about wanting to and, and being nice, but folks, sometimes it's going to cost you something. Can, can I tell you, and, and, and those of you, and there's many in this room that have, when you start ministering to people that live chaotic lives, there is a cost to that. It's hard. It's hard. And it costs you, it costs you emotional resources. It costs you time, and frankly, sometimes it costs you money. And, and there's no way to get around it. But if we want to minister like Jesus, we've got to be willing to do that. And then holy people are willing to go the distance. You know, this isn't just about hit and miss, but this is about investing in someone's life and, and walking with them through the residuals of their chaotic, sin-filled life. And allowing them to be a part even when it's not comfortable. You know, I was so appreciative last week, Pam shared. Didn't you appreciate Pam's story? I tell you what, that, that, was, that would have been very difficult to do. And, uh, and, and yet it was so uplifting, I think, to so many of us. And I thought about Pam. She's 12 years old when her dad dies. And she's 14 when her mom uh, abandons them to the system her and her younger uh, siblings. You know, a 14-year-old girl come from that chaotic lifestyle uh, with that kind of baggage. Uh, Teenagers aren't easy anyhow. I'm sorry if you're a teenager. Teenagers aren't easy anyhow. But with that kind of baggage to bring her into your home, uh, that's a scary thing. I'm so thankful for foster parents that took Pam into her, their home and loved her, and churches that took them in and loved them. You know, it was great. You know, I, I, I told Pam was in the first service, and she was sitting back here where Mary Louise and Doris are sitting, and, and I said, and there she sits, saying in her mind, right, right by, by Jim. And, you know, it's just a story of God's grace. That even in the midst of that, because people were willing to take them in and love her, they made a difference. You know, I think of the prison ministries that, that go on in this church. And, and historically, we have a, a strong history of people that have been involved in, in prison ministries. And Rich, I know that you do. Anybody else been involved in prison ministries that's in here right now? I know there's Rodney, Todd. Rich actually spent a weekend in jail not too long ago, and I think he did it voluntarily. I don't think it was a, a, a forced incarceration, but, uh, but, but ministering to people. That, that's not easy, is it, Rich? It takes an investment. It's hard. And, and, and some guys you invest in, and you lose them anyhow. We baptized three guys at Trenton that, that were part of the heroin addiction, and three months later, we did their funerals. 
Folks, sometimes it hurts and it's hard and you invest and you lose and you win. (laughs) But Jesus did that and he calls us to do that as well. That's one of the things I appreciate about this church. Um, You know, sometimes I feel like a pastor as if, and, and, and it's not intended to be this way, you know, but, but sometimes I feel like I'm berating when the truth is you guys are a model of this. There's so many of you doing so many dynamic things for God, and I'm so thankful for that. But God's calling us out. He's calling us not just to be the church here, but the church out there. You know where they need the church? You know where they see to see Jesus? We don't need to just see Jesus on a Sunday morning when we've all gathered here. We need to see Jesus out in our neighborhoods, in the stores, on the playgrounds, in the schools, where where we shop, where we eat. That's where people need to see Jesus. And the truth is, unless we allow him to use us in a way that he's seen through us, he's not going to be Seeing. You ever hear this phrase? You might be the only Bible someone reads this week. We're going to close with um, a song, and I'm going to ask Amy to come and go ahead and bring the lights down. Uh, I, believe, I believe the response to God is prayer. And, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be anything complicated. We use these altars. And, and our altars are always available for you at any time. But because the altars are just a good place to get private, to, to bow. They, they, they've got padding there, so it doesn't hurt your knees, I guess. You can close your eyes. You can focus on God. Uh, I, I can tell you in my life, I've went to the altar a lot. <laughs> and, and I've never been disappointed. I, I can't think of one time I've went to the altar and been disappointed. And so, so we just want to spend some time and center on him and try to have him speak beyond the words of this preacher. I mean, what God says is far more important than anything I could say. And I want you to have the opportunity to respond in prayer, to, to say, God, is there something I need to hear in this message? Is there somebody you want me to minister to? Or maybe there's just chaos. Maybe life's dark. Maybe you put on Sunday morning clothes and Sunday morning face. And if somebody asks you how things are going, you go, oh, it's going good. But the truth is, it's a mess. And you just need Jesus to step into that mess.